So in St. Louis, Missouri, there's this sandwich. It's got kind of a cult following. And if you're from St. Louis, you probably already definitely know what I'm talking about. It's called the St. Paul sandwich. And it's kind of reminiscent of egg foo young, the popular Chinese American dish. Basically, an egg foo young patty is fried and cooked in oil until it's golden brown on the outside and soft and pillowy on the inside. And then it's placed between two pieces of bread. Okay, so tell me exactly what is on the St. Paul sandwich. So it's just the egg foo young patty. And then is it white bread? Always white bread? Yeah, I mean, it's the whitest white bread you can get, whether it's Wonder Bread or Bunny Bread. Kui Tran from My Lee in St. Louis makes this on a regular basis. And soft, right? Not toasted, not just soft. Soft, like not toasted, soft. It's then slathered with mayo, topped with lettuce, tomato, and maybe a little dill pickle. And this, my friends, is where the sandwich throws me for a loop. Toasted white bread I could get with, but soft, squishy white bread with a steaming hot omelet in between? Sounds like a recipe for a soggy mess. And yet somehow it works and has for many decades now. You know, I've seen people add cheese. (laughs) So I've seen people add a slice of cheese on top, you know, and uh, a Kraft Singles piece of cheese. Nice. Of course it's a Kraft Single. That's the only high-end thing to it was Kraft Singles. So there is no such thing as like a $10 St. Paul sandwich that's been gourmet up. I mean, I can definitely make it. You know, we can shake <laughs> waffles on it. We can you know, get the Iberical ham. Is there a certain time of day or day part that you're eating a St. Paul sandwich? So is it a breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night? When, when, when do you eat a St. Paul in St. Louis? Yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes, anytime. Anytime. From KCUR Studios in Kansas City and the Missouri Humanities Council, this is Hungry for Mo, a podcast about the stories behind the iconic foods that shape our region. I'm Jenny Vergara, a freelance writer and the founder of The Test Kitchen, an underground supper club in Kansas City. And I'm Natasha Bailey, a chef, cheese enthusiast, and home gardener. And today, we're talking about the Chinese-American dishes that we can thank Missouri for. Because even though the Chinese population is less than 1% of the total population in the state, we have managed to create at least two iconic Chinese-American dishes that are ours and ours alone. They are Springfield-style cashew chicken invented in Springfield, Missouri, and the St. Paul sandwich created in St. Louis, Missouri. Growing up in this country, did you think you were eating authentic Chinese dishes? I, I definitely did. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know any difference. Right, me too, me too. And I thought that for lots lots and lots of my adult life, I think, honestly. So in reality, though, most Chinese-American food here in Missouri is much more American than it is Chinese. And the two plates that we're exploring today were specifically created to please the Missouri palate. In addition to both being immigrant stories of true hospitality, they're also about financial survival. And I want to start with the famous St. Paul sandwich. Natasha, what do you know about the St. Paul sandwich? I know that it is quick and easy, messy, but hearty. And when I think about it, I think about um, people having a really quick either lunch break or breakfast time to get something to eat. Yeah. 
yeah, that that's a good point. And it is interesting to me that this sandwich like does not appear anywhere else other than St. Louis. I mean, this is kind of one of those sandwiches that sits very neatly inside the borders of St. Louis. You can't really find it anywhere else. Is it is it a sandwich that sounds good to you? Sometimes. Depends on my mood, you know? It's the soft white bread and the mayo that just like, ugh, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the best part. To me, it sounds like um, hangover, like a hangover cure, this sandwich. Most definitely. Yes. So, Natasha, I've been researching this sandwich for a while now, and I'm just going to dive in here. From a personal standpoint, what I love about this sandwich is that it's cheap. You can get a dish of egg foo young, brown gravy and rice, and it'll cost you probably 13 to 15 bucks in a Chinese restaurant in St. Louis. But the St. Paul sandwich is only five to seven dollars. And by design, it's made to order. Literally, every single time you order it, you know it's going to be hot, fresh, and delicious. But just as curious as the sandwich itself is how the sandwich got its name. No one really knows who invented the St. Paul sandwich, even though it's been around for 80 years. But there's two competing theories. Famous foodie James Beard posited that the St. Paul was probably a take on the Denver sandwich, which was the precursor to the Denver omelet, created decades prior by Chinese chefs in cooking and logging camps. But truly, the most popular theory says it was invented in the 40s by the owner of the Park Chop Suey restaurant in St. Louis, Stephen Yen, and named after his hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota. He supposedly created the sandwich as a way to get more American customers into his restaurant at a time when many were very suspicious of Asian cuisine in general. It was a hit, at least in St. Louis. So do you think people in St. Paul, Minnesota know what a St. Paul sandwich is? I guarantee you they don't. (laughs) I don't think they do either. I don't think they do either. Everywhere we've gone, like if somebody mentions a St. Paul sandwich, everybody's like, what's that? You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like people have no idea. That chef Kui Tran again. And I should probably mention I sought Kui out specifically to talk about the St. Paul sandwich because his family's been making it for decades. And there's this story that Kui tells that really exemplifies how truly regional this sandwich is. He was cooking dinner at the James Beard House in New York with internationally known French chef Daniel Balloud. And Cui invited his friend and restaurateur and St. Louis native, Danny Meyer, owner of Shake Shack, to the party. So I'm, I'm standing there with Chef Daniel Balloud and Danny Meyer. And Danny Meyer's like, Chef, have you ever had a St. Paul sandwich? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Chef Daniel Balloud's like, what is St. Paul sandwich? You know, and then, <laughs> and Danny's trying to explain this, like, you know, dollar sandwich. And I'm laughing so hard because Daniel Balut has no idea what the heck's going on. And Danny's like, well, it's an egg patty. It's fried. with." You know, and it was, so does Danny come to you to get his St. Paul sandwich? Well, he says he comes to me because he trusts my place to, <laughs> to make nice. it. Right nice. Oh, it actually makes sense that someone would trust Kui to make this sandwich because he and his family have been doing it since they moved here from Vietnam. Since Kui was a boy, he's been making these sandwiches. We immigrated to the United States in 1980. Uh, we're refugees of war. You know, we actually had a, we opened a chop suey in 1982 uh, in an area called Jennings in St. Louis. And that's kind of where we started making St. Paul's. At that time, there were no Vietnamese restaurants in St. Louis. So Kui's parents decided that it would be safer to just open a Chinese chop suey. Do you know 
if you're if someone taught your parents how to make that sandwich or if they just knew they needed to put it on the menu because it was everywhere in St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, like it, it was we knew we just need to put it on the menu uh, because it was uh, we've seen it at other chop sueys. And so, you know, usually with Asians, it's just kind of like, oh, this works. Let's try it. I want to bring in an expert here to give us just a little bit of Chinese chop suey context. My name is Jennifer Lee, and I am the author of the Fortune Cookie Chronicles and the producer for the documentary, The Search for General So. Jennifer told me that there was a great deal of anti-Chinese racism when Chinese people first started immigrating to the United States in the 1850s. While many white residents unfairly saw Chinese workers as taking jobs away, that hostility and harassment is what actually drove Chinese Americans into becoming entrepreneurs. Many opened laundry businesses or restaurants, things that were seen as women's work at the time. So now we see this proliferation of Chinese-owned restaurants, and a lot of them sold really cheap, fast, and flavorful chop suey, which probably isn't what you think it is. Yeah, so chop suey is, I like to say, the biggest culinary joke that one culture has played on another, because chop suey is zha suey, which means kind of odds and ends. So it's like almost if we had a very popular dish in America called like leftovers, and, you know, everyone came here from like Japan and say, you know, I, I understand that you have this dish, it's called leftovers, it's very popular, especially after like Thanksgiving. Chinese American food has a history of these kinds of mashup dishes, though. Beef and broccoli, General Tso's chicken. It, it tells the story of, you know, immigrants who arrived in a new place and cooked to survive. In the 1980s, Kui's family restaurants started selling simply what they thought people wanted, Chinese food. At that time, you know, my mother figured out, well, we need to, we're going to do Chinese food because that's what's selling. And it didn't go so well because obviously how do you break into a market that other people have a hold on? But the great thing about that is it led my mom to be like, well, we're Vietnamese. Why don't we do Vietnamese food? And so in 1985, we started uh, the first Vietnamese restaurant in St. Louis called My Lee's. My Lee gave them an opportunity to expand into their own recipes. As for the St. Paul sandwich, it still lives on their current menu today. So do your parents eat the St. Paul sandwich and do you? You know, it's a funny, that's a funny question because we've, we've made it for so long that we don't eat it normally, but every once in a while we're <laughs> kind of like, hey, go make a St. Like, you know, usually I'll make a St. Paul and like my dad will be like, oh, we'll cut half. And then all of a sudden, you know, my sister's working or somebody, they'll be like, oh, can you make another one? Yes. Every once in a while, we definitely crave it. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I can totally see where, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you don't know that you want a St. Paul sandwich until you see someone else having a St. Paul sandwich. So do you think the St. Paul sandwich is an American dish, a Chinese dish? Like what, how would you, how would you describe it? It's a hundred percent American dish. Because, you know, you got to think, Egg Foo Young's an American thing. I mean, I, I you know, it's all Chinese-American uh, food. So uh, St. Paul is definitely an American thing. And that's kind of like the cool thing. I always say that food brings us all together. And it doesn't matter if it was made by, a you know, an Asian gentleman. Uh, it's an American thing. It was made here. It has this history. It would have never been created if we were never here. Is this something St. Louis is super proud of? Like, help me understand where the St. Paul sandwich sits in the zeitgeist of 
St. Paul culinary status? <laughs> well, I don't know how uh, high-end or culinary status the St. Paul is, but it's, it's a guilty pleasure like fried chicken. You know, you're not supposed to eat it every day, but when you do eat it, it's damn good. Kui, it's so nice to meet you. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this, seriously. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. So, Natasha, fried chicken actually does bring us back to the second Missouri Chinese dish I want to talk about in this episode. Yes. Springfield-style cashew chicken. So what is the difference? What is regular cashew chicken and what is Springfield cashew chicken? Okay, so what most people think of as cashew chicken is actually sliced pieces of chicken breast, stir-fried with vegetables and a brown sauce with a bunch of cashews sprinkled on top, obviously served over rice. But Springfield-style cashew chicken features chicken that's boneless, breaded, and fried. Then you take very few cashews. I mean scant. The name is cashew chicken, but there's no cashew almost in this. The tiniest amount sprinkled on top with a little tiny bit of chopped green onion just for texture and color. And the most important part of all of it is basically the sauce or the gravy, as they call it in Springfield. And it's because of its thickness. It's really a thick sauce. And this is where the secret kind of secret recipe part of this comes into play. It's safe to assume that this probably has chicken broth, cornstarch, soy sauce, maybe a little oyster sauce, ginger garlic, and probably some sugar to give it a little sweetness. And then the whole thing is served over white rice, or you could also do stir-fried rice, which is what most people do. So, Natasha, this dish is like all anyone orders. I, I know. I see why. I mean, I would eat this every day. Imagine going into a Chinese restaurant and you look around, and every single person in the restaurant is eating the exact same dish. I would think I was in Groundhog's Day or something. <laughs> like, I'm going to try that. <laughs> I mean, see, because, I mean, it just sounds very comforting. Yeah, comforting. That's, a, that's actually a good way to put it. I should also say that I've been to Springfield many times. And the guy who created this dish, David Leong, is literally a culinary hero there because it didn't only help him, but many other Chinese restaurants in the area. David is actually revered far beyond Springfield, across the country even, for this dish and how it contributed to American Chinese food. David died last summer, less than a month short of his 100th birthday. But you can still get his original recipe at Leong's Asian Diner, which is being run by his family, including his son, Ling Leong, who I recently called up. Okay, how are you? And Ling says his dad's inspiration for Springfield-style cashew chicken was 100% based on fried chicken, which was a hugely popular dish in Springfield in the 1960s. So David Leong just basically created his own version. What was he looking to accomplish, do you think? When he first built his restaurant out west of town, uh, back then there was uh, nothing but cornfields out there, and, and everybody told him he was crazy and... and uh, some people wanted to see him fail at his business and he just wanted to, you know, basically get people to just come in and try his restaurant because, uh, you know, he, he had to uh, make enough money to uh, feed his family because uh, at that time we had, you know, seven kids in the family and, and he didn't want to fail, you know, so he, you know, would try this dish just to see if it would bring people in and, and it did. 
they had seven kids at the time that he opened. Yep. When they came here, where did they come from? Funny you should ask. So um, David came over from the United States, from China, and his wife stayed back at first. Uh, It was an arranged marriage there. His cooking career started in the military. And then when he returned from World War II, he landed in Florida. In the military, basically, he was just a serviceman. He was um, signing up as a way to make a little money during World War II. And he was actually uh, at D-Day on Omaha Beach. Like, he was, he was kind of in the mix there as the war started. Long story short, there was a, a cook that was um, cooking for the officers in the officer mess tent that got sick or had an emergency and had to leave, and there was no one to cook for the officers. And somebody said, does anybody have any cooking experience? And he raised his hand and said he did. And that night he cooked a feast for the officers that was so delicious, he was instantly offered a position to stay and cook in the mess tent versus kind of being out on the battlefield. And and uh, I read a couple stories that said he thought that was maybe one of the reasons why he survived that war was because he ended up kind of cooking his way through it for the officers who enjoyed his cuisine. I love that. That is so beautiful. So that's kind of how he started uh, started cooking. And then he ultimately landed in Florida cooking for a restaurant there. And one night, a wealthy neurosurgeon from Springfield, Missouri, came into this restaurant in Florida. And he loved his meal. He came back the next night to eat it again and asked to speak to the chef. So David came to the table and he said to David, would you be willing to move to Springfield and open up a restaurant there? He agreed then and there. And that was how he ended up in Missouri. Wow. uh... Right? That is crazy. And in the beginning, it was not easy. David basically faced a lot of prejudice for being Chinese. His original restaurant was vandalized while it was under construction. He was basically considered an outsider. So he's created this dish, Springfield-style cashew chicken. How did he get the word out? Uh, Had some people from City Hall come in to eat, and he gave them some samples of it to see if they would like it. And they loved it so much that the next day, the, they brought the entire crew from City Hall to come in and eat. And wow. there it just took off. And, and So of all of the dishes on the menu, would you say that Springfield-style uh, cashew chicken is still number one with a bullet? or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, our, it's our number one seller. And uh, you would be hard-pressed to find any Chinese restaurant in Springfield that did not have cashew chicken on their menu. Even probably any restaurant within 50 miles of Springfield, Mm -hmm. the Chinese restaurant, and even restaurants that are not Chinese have had cashew chicken on their menu because they they know how popular the dish is. Yeah, isn't that such a testament to your dad? You know, every time somebody eats Springfield-style cashew chicken, you know, your uh, your dad is uh, is smiling, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I wish I had a nickel for every uh, dish of that that was ever Right, <laughs> right, right. You'd be rich. <laughs> You'd be rich in more ways than one, I think. Jennifer Ait Lee says that what David was doing was what a lot of Chinese-American chefs did back then inventing dishes that blended with their surroundings and got people to come to the door. What is more fascinating is when one of those dishes takes off and that becomes really popular. And she says what this really says is if a dish takes off, it really says something about the native culture that it was hosted in. And I'm like, 
thinking about that, I thought, yeah, so here I am, a Chinese American chef. I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm a Chinese chef, I'm in America, and I'm trying to figure out how to create a dish that's going to bring Americans in. And so I'm going to look at what they're eating in the community in which I live. Yes. And I'm going to create something that inherently is similar, but also still within my wheelhouse so that it is foreign and familiar spun together and served as kind of an exotic delicacy that has nothing to do with China <laughs> or anything people eat in China. Man. I think that's mind blowing. I think it's so smart. They just, uh, and, and when you think about the Springfield chicken, it's like, duh. I mean, that makes total sense. Brown gravy, steamed rice <laughs> with, with crispy chicken. Yeah, so Jennifer Lee goes on and she talks about the fact that basically these Chinese immigrants who have these restaurants are just make, creating dishes trying to survive, right? And she says they don't really have culinary training, so they're not too precious. They just want to sell stuff. You know, they just want to make it. They just want to survive. So you've taken some of your dishes, obviously, in your research uh, to China. What do you think they would make of Springfield-style cashew chicken? I think they would look at it and they'd be like, is that Chinese food? I mean, they would, that would be their attitude. Or like, is that German food? Like, it doesn't look like Chinese food to them. You know, they might think it's Japanese food because like they're familiar with Japanese people like frying cutlets and then chopping it up and then putting gravy, like curry gravy on it. Yeah, they would think it's Japanese or they think it would uh, German. I can definitely say they would think it was a Japanese dish, but why would they think it was a German dish? Uh, I will tell you why. Because it looks and somewhat tastes like German schnitzel, complete with brown gravy, almost like a Jaeger schnitzel, which is usually made with pork or veal that's been pounded thin, breaded, and fried until it's crispy golden brown. And there's actually a long history of Germans coming and settling in Missouri, specifically in the Ozarks, near Springfield, Missouri. Some even have gone so far as to call the area the German Ozarks because of the large number of German immigrants that settled here starting in the late 1800s. So perhaps part of the reason that Springfield-style cashew chicken took off like wildfire in this part of the Ozarks is because the German immigrants who settled here and the types of dishes they were familiar with and craved as comfort food. And this is where the story takes an interesting twist. McDonald's chicken nuggets. Something that the Leong family thinks that their family could have helped to contribute to the success of. Several years ago, when, when my dad came out with the cashew chicken, People from McDonald's came by and wanted to learn more about the dish, and they wanted to see if my dad would teach them how to make it. And, you know, he, he showed, you know, they spent a few days, a couple days at the restaurant seeing how we did it, and they uh, wanted my dad to give them the recipe, and, and he said he would do it if they would pay him, but they, they didn't really want to pay him, so... You know, we didn't think too much more about it, but it wasn't like maybe a year later they came out with the chicken McNuggets. So they, they clearly wanted his uh, his secret recipe, which he was willing to give to other Chinese restaurants, but not to McDonald's. Well, you know, he, he thought that he would have given it to him, but he thought that, you know, a big corporation like that, he ought to get paid something for it. It's so similar. I should have known. But you don't think that when you think McDonald's, you know. Yeah, McDonald's wouldn't pay the man for his recipe. It just brings you full circle to think about how truly inviting and hospitable this family is, in spite of how terribly unfair they were treated at times. Do you think your dad was an innovator? 
like a creator of things? He never started out to be an innovator. He was basically just trying to make a living for his family. You know, when he, he came to the United States with only $2 in his pocket, you know, at the time, uh, you know, a lot of people were afraid to try Chinese food because they just weren't that familiar with it at the time. This was back, you know, in the early 60s. Leong's Asian Diner is what you call the restaurant. And I wondered about the word diner and why you chose that instead of just calling it a restaurant. Because a diner has a pretty specific kind of imagery that goes with it. So I just wondered if that was intentional. It it was. Uh, you know, we thought about different names for it. You know, Leon's Asian Bistro. You know, that didn't sound, that sounded like too pretentious. You know, we didn't want mm-hmm. people to think, that, oh, everything's real expensive and small mm-hmm. portions and stuff like that. But we wanted to make people feel at home so that, you know, when they come in, you know, they, they feel like, uh, they're coming in to eat at the grandma's uh, kitchen or something, you know. I asked you the question early on about, was your dad an innovator? But I think he was more of a survivor. I mean, an innovator for sure for creating this dish that has lived on, um, you know, 60 plus years, but a survivor as well. Yeah, he's a... Uh... You know, it's really amazing uh, to me. Uh, my dad, he could literally take anything, cook it, and make it taste good. Be honest, is this a dish that your own family loves and still eats today? Or is are you guys kind of tired of cashew, cashew Springfield-style cashew chicken at this point? No, you know, it's funny. Um, when my dad closed the original restaurant, because my mom had passed away, and and every once in a while, I would get a craving for cashew chicken, so I'd have to <laughs> go to different restaurants and try their cashew chicken, and, and it never was quite the same, but, you know, it, it kind of uh, alleviated my uh, craving for it. Does it make you think of your dad when you eat it? Uh, well, it makes me appreciative of everything he's done. You know, I, I, you know, our dad just recently passed away and, and, you know, uh, you know, still think about him every day and appreciate him for everything he's done to, for our family. I just hear the way that he speaks about his father. It is very beautiful. When you have children, you want for them to appreciate what you've given up for them. And I think that his son understands that and to hear that was really beautiful. But I also think that being a person of color makes you have to, it's being able to survive is just like a part of it, you know? So I think that he just knew that and knew that he was going to have to make a way out of nothing kind of make himself be known and I think that that is that's just so wonderful and it it just shows the spirit of not giving up so I think the biggest thing that's kind of singing to me after doing uh, the episodes that we have is this idea that um, immigrants played a giant role in the things that become 
what we hang our hat on culinarily within Missouri. There is a reason why David should continue to be discussed. I mean, why David Leong's name is going to live in Springfield and in the state of Missouri for a long, long time. Hungry for Mo is a production of KCUR Studios with support from the Missouri Humanities Council. This episode was produced and mixed by Mackenzie Martin with editing from Gabe Rosenberg. Our team also includes Suzanne Hogan. Mike Russo is the head chef of KCUR Studios. Music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Natasha Bailey. And I'm Jenny Vergara. Next week... He didn't think that good health or good farming should belong to one group more than another. We'll be looking at Missourian George Washington Carver. He's remembered for being the peanut guy, but he's accomplished and fought for so much more. Don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed to Hungry for Mo in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also love hearing from you. Shoot us an email at hungry at kcr.org or find us on Twitter KCUR is at KCUR. Or if you want to catch me directly, find me on Instagram at EatableKC. And I'm on Instagram at JJ Vergara. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Hey there, Suzanne Hogan here, host of A People's History of Kansas City, another podcast from KCUR Studios. If you like this podcast, Hungry for Mo, and these stories about amazing Missourians, then you should check out A People's History of Kansas City, particularly the episode all about how Missouri got its name. It's about the history of the Oto Missouri tribe and how a storyteller helped keep their fading language alive. Search for A People's History of Kansas City wherever you get your podcasts. I would say my guilty pleasure are any variety of cheese fries, fry and cheese or French fries. I love French fries so much more than anything in the world. You know, it's interesting. There's like guilty pleasure in terms of a diet. And then there's like guilty pleasure. Like I like Campbell's tomato soup with milk in it (laughs) and a grilled cheese sandwich if I'm sick. Because that's what my mom made for me when I was sick. Do I want to tell the world that Jenny Vergara stands up and loves Campbell's tomato soup? Maybe not really. (laughs) Maybe I'm not so proud of that.